This is the Post Shift Podcast, a broad look at the hospitality industry. Hey there, Post Shifters, and welcome to another episode of Post Shift Podcast with your host, Sean Sewell. Um, obviously, you know who it is because you're listening. Um, this, t- this episode today is a little bit of a mashup between my passion project, BC Spirits, and the Post Shift Podcast, obviously. Um, the big thing is, is that I was at BC Distilled just last week. Um, yeah, it was last week. And uh, I got to sit down with a couple of distillers. Uh, one of my favorite guys, uh, James Lester from Sons of Vancouver, is this week's interview. And then in a couple of weeks' time, I have got uh, Gordon Miriam from Odd Society, which was a fantastic interview as well. So uh, I hope you really enjoyed it. I I love doing this little mashup sort of thing with BC BC Spirits and the Post Shift Podcast. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, I'll see you next week. Bye. Okay, so we'll get started. So uh, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah. My name is James Lester, and I am the janitor, the owner, and the <laughs> distiller at Sons of Vancouver. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think this is going to be a nice little BC Spirits mashup with Post Shift Podcast because I think a lot of people, well, my main goal with Post Shift Podcast has always been, I know you listen to a few, is uh, get behind, like, get behind what people are doing and why they did it. Because let's be honest, like everybody has this sort of like romanticized version of owning a bar or a restaurant or being a bartender or owning a distillery. Owning a distillery is the best thing ever. Oh, yeah. And then you actually sit down with the people and get to know them because it's always, the interviews are always about like successes, never about massive, horrible failures. Yeah. Um, so how long has Sons of Vancouver been open for? Been open for four years, just over four years now. Really? That all? Yeah. Man, it's four years have gone back fast. Yeah, we were uh, we were twenty five to open, twenty fifth to open in the province, and now wow. there's like somebody told me yesterday that there's seventy. Yeah, there's seventy three, and I think we have ten opening before the end of the year. That's awesome. Yeah, so like even in in Victoria, we've got James Bay Distillers opening, but they're going to be bottlers similar to Victoria Caledonia. Yeah. Um, of course, we've got Shelley Bespoke up in Parksville. You've got Misguided in Parksville as well. Yeah. So two in Parksville opening up before summer. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, that's why I always love. Like, I sit down and do the episodes and I, I pick a, a category and I'm like, I pick a category of spirits. I'm like, oh, okay, well, let's do fruit brandies. Like, oh, there can't be too many fruit brandies. I'm thinking like four or five examples. Yeah. And nine later, it's like, no. And same thing with just brandy brandy. It's a lot, a lot. And then liqueurs, I always thought liqueurs are still super underrated in the BC market. Yeah. And then I started doing liqueurs and I'm like, well, I've got a ton of jewels on the shelf and I'm trying to figure out, I may be doing three different episodes of liqueurs. That's <laughs> good to hear. Yeah. Just because of your stuff. Like we may have a one episode completely dedicated to coffee. Wow, man. It would be really fun to like, like you can download the, uh, like the LDB or you can purchase the LDB like sales numbers. Yeah. It'd be really interesting just to like write out every craft product and like spreadsheet it just to see where like where there's like clumps and where there's gaps. I tried to figure out a way because the one thing I really wanted to do was um, a timeline mm-hmm. of all the distilleries where the liquor board doesn't keep records of when they got their license. Yeah. So I wanted to. Uh, you have to go through the bottles individually. Yeah. Actually established <laughs> yeah. 2013. Yeah, that's literally what I wanted to do is like do a, a timeline of where everything opened. Yeah. And when it opened. But then it became a big nightmare. Like they sent me wow. through a couple of Excel spreadsheets, and then yeah. I was like, "No, I don't want to do this anymore." This, yeah. is, this seemed like a fun idea that I could. I was thought literally like cut and paste, sort. Okay, I'm done now. I can just put it into a pretty infograph. And I'm yeah. like, no, no, you're gonna actually go through and like look 
at each one, email everybody individually. Oh man, no, that's like running up cats. Yeah. So, um, what was what 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 made you want to do Sons of Vancouver? What made you want to do a distillery? Um, my uh, like my business partner Richard. Um, we went to trade school together, and he grew up in Fort St. John. Um, we we both worked in like process control and instrumentation. Yeah. So out of high school, just had no idea what I wanted to do, and um. And the career counselor was like, this was all up north. So uh, everyone's getting in the trades. And the yeah. career counselor was like, if you don't know what you want to do, go to the oil patch. You'll make a bunch of money and you can figure it out. And um, we both uh, we both worked there for a couple years. As soon as we got our like our journeyman certificates, yeah. we just quit. Um, and then kind of like left, did our own thing for a few years. Um, but had this pretty handy trade background uh, in our back pocket. So... We we kind of like milled it, you know, milled about on it for a while, and instrumentation is like uh, it has to deal with like the properties of flow basically. So you're working in oil and gas, and I I've never really worked in oil. It's like mostly just natural gas yeah. in British Columbia. Um, so you're dealing with the properties of flow, and that's directly correlated to like to actually like to alcohol. Um, and it's not really, it's not really too far off from brewing actually. So we, we'd both been like homebrewing for a few years when we were like, when I was in high school, um, there was a teacher's strike and we just got like two weeks off in the middle of the year. We, we weren't old enough to buy beer, but we're old enough to buy everything to make beer. And this was like <laughs> just a fun summer hobby <laughs> and, uh, our second summer hobby we called it. And, um, I don't know, it was, it was like absolutely awful beer, but it was really interesting, like, the, the process from going from, like, converting starches to sugars, and then converting sugars into alcohol, and I always just remembered that, and we got into process control, um, which is distilling, but on, like, a massive scale, yeah. you're separating elements of the earth, and, like, you're separating, like, diesel from propane and stuff yeah. like that. Um, so eventually, we, like, we both just, like, we quit the oil patch and like bounced around for a couple of years. I was bartending in Australia oh. and um, I bartended at the Australia's only Batman themed nightclub. <laughs> I don't know that one. <laughs> yeah. well, it was probably after your time. Yeah. You probably left by then. And um, one thing led to another and like I, you know, I was living up in, uh, I was living in Williams Lake actually building log houses for a, uh, you ever see the you ever see the Timber Kings show? Yeah, familiar with that? I was in the pilot episode of oh, Timber wow. Kings. Um, so I was I was a medic up there building log homes, and uh, and I was kind of just like, you know, we'd seen like craft beer come up, and Richard and I had always like when we worked together, we always like talked about opening something. We just didn't know what it was, and uh, at that time he was like he was moving back from Columbia with a gorgeous girlfriend and a cute dog. <laughs> And, uh, <clears throat> he wasn't like, he was talking about opening a liquor store in Calgary. And, um, and I was like, what about, what about distilling, man? Like, let's think about it. And, uh, we had, we had a massive Skype conversation and I convinced him to move to Vancouver. And I had, I had a friend living here and he's like, I can get you a job at a coffee shop for $14 an hour plus tips. And I was like, sweet, I'm moving to Vancouver. And, um, I never took the job at the coffee shop, but I went to Capilano up here, yep. a small business course, um, with the focus on opening a distillery, and wrote a business plan around that time, 
I I worked at a bourbon distillery in Seattle, um, and a little bit at a Lemoncello distillery, which is where we got our like got our inspiration yeah. to do amaretto. Um, <clears throat> we knew like you know we had no money. Um, we had a, a bunch of time to open the distillery, and so we kind of like you know the steps to like opening a business would be. You, you, you find a location, you yeah. submit your papers, you do the lease, you wait for the build-out, you wait for the building permit, and you do the build-out. And we were like, we were looking for a building, which is, I always tell people it's like the toughest part of opening a distillery. Um, we were looking for a building, so in the meantime, we had to like build the brand as much as we could, yeah. because we had, you know, we had no money for marketing yeah. or, like, or anything like that. And we needed to do it as early as possible. So that was when... Um, it's probably like 2013 or something. Um, I started the Vancouver Gin Society, and there was oh, okay, yeah, yeah. there was already like a Seattle Gin Society. So we just you know we got a bunch of gin from them and brought it up here, and then we hold like tastings. And we that was back when like Long Table and Liberty were like really the in Yale Town were like the only distilleries in Vancouver. And yeah. Like, shortly after Odd Society opened. Um. And so we like we just tried to build this like, you know, if, if this is your business here, we tried to build this network around yeah. it to like to come at it from every direction, and yeah, and like a lot of the people that I met through the Gin Society, um, I, I call my friends today, yeah. like, and they're people in the industry. Wow, wow. So you opened up four years ago. Why? What was your what, when you first opened? What was your focus? What spirit was your focus? Because like you don't have a gin, do you? No, no. So like you you have your vodka and your chili vodka, um, but what was your what was your real focus when it came to open? Because I know most distilleries they open and they're like, okay, we'll do a vodka because that's easy. We'll do a gin because yeah, yeah. that's easy. The, the distillery. We'll put down a whiskey. That's easy. And you seem to go a different route. was that the you went a different route and you went like let's do an amaretto was yeah. that intended <laughs> definitely or? yeah that was that was strategic if you can if i can use that word yeah. um was strategically that, making a craft amaretto in yes. vancouver <laughs> yeah I, actually i had another one the other day from like quebec somebody brought it in oh really the only other one i've ever heard of um so in seattle um I, I used to run, a, like, I worked at a distillery in Seattle. It worked. I, yeah. I don't have a American citizenship, but I'd go down on Friday, and I'd spend all Saturday and Sunday at the distillery, and I'd come home with my, like, duty-free limited booths. You know, <laughs> like, that was, like, that was working. Um, but I did that, like, every weekend for a year. And wow. um, it started with, like, it started with, like, just mashing in the back, which is the most boring part of distilling. And then eventually, like, working in the tasting room and doing tours, and then eventually I got onto the stills. Um, but, like, I, I ran events for the Seattle Gin Society, and I, you could see things like that. Like, you could see that everybody wanted to be the gin distillery or yeah. the vodka distillery in Seattle. And at that time, we had, like, there would have been, like, 13 distilleries in BC, but there was, like, you know, there was, like, 14 in yeah. Metro Seattle. Yeah. There was, like... 75 in Washington yeah. State. Like, like, I always say it's five years ahead. Now we have 70 and they have 200 or yeah. something like that. Um, so <clears throat> there's a there's a Lemoncello distillery down there called called Letterpress. And um, to this day, it's like their, their Lemoncello is one of the most amazing things that I've ever tasted. Everybody wanted to be like 
the gin distillery yeah. and these guys were just like hand over fisting limoncello <laughs> and like it was just such a it was such a weird thing but i always remember that and we we have a friend um he's actually he's an investor in that distillery actually and he's a he's like a financial advisor and i remember he's like oh yeah so you're opening a distillery and and uh he's like what are you gonna make he's like oh we're gonna make vodka and gin and moonshine and like you're like i i shouldn't make that accent because that's what everyone says <laughs> <laughs> and uh and so he just started telling everybody he's like this is my friend james and they're opening a moonshine distillery and i was like we're not opening a moonshine distillery we're also gonna make this and this and um but like after his his heckling yeah. and, and seeing the limoncello distillery that's when we rethought everything and i think like everybody getting into this and like i've sat down with people who write business plans and they're like just look at the vodka numbers. There's a bajillion dollars of vodka sold in BC every year. And you're like, you should be making more money selling vodka. But like, man, there's so many vodkas out there. You know, You'd be surprised like, I'm talking to some craft distilleries now in BC who are like talking about delisting their vodka. Yeah. And not even worrying about it. I, I was, act, we were actually going to do it this year. We were going to stop selling vodka because it would be like, it'd be so cool to stop selling vodka. <laughs> um, but like, you know, our vodka's good. Yeah, the it's a little bit of cream. Yeah. You know you're going to sell like a, a X amount of bottles at a farmer's market or something like that. You know it's just going to move. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and like, so the, actually the way our sales reps explained it to us was like, we were going to stop selling vodka and they're like, if you stop selling vodka, not only do you have to release another product, you have to like release another product that sells double yeah. just to replace the sales <laughs> of the vodka. And then it was like, oh yeah, you're right. Um, <laughs> and you can't make enough coconut rum. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So the Amarato came about, and were you expecting the success of the Amarato? Because it, 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 I think that your Amarato would be classed as your flagship, would you not? Oh yeah, like for that's, sure. that's we, your, like when people talk about Sands of Vancouver, it's the number eighty-two. More than fifty percent of what we sell is Amaretto. Wow. Yeah, like that's impressive. consistently, and in in like December, uh, because we do the distilling course, like yeah. I sit down with people every month, and, and so I go through and like. Um, in like June, you know, vodka, like just the regular vodka might account for like 25 or like 30% of sales. Um, but then in like December, vodka is like 2% just because yeah. Amaretto is like, <laughs> it's not vodka season, but it's prime Amaretto yeah, season. Everybody yeah. wants for Christmas. Yeah. So then that sort of leads through to your, how, when, when did you start your April Fool's release? Uh, it was three years ago. So the year, like we opened in March of 2015, mm-hmm. I think. And then the following April. April, yeah. So what was the thinking behind the April's full day? Um, so well, it's, uh, except for being absolutely epic. Yeah. <laughs> it's, thanks man. Thanks. <laughs> it's kind of, it's carved, it's, it's now carved out like, like where it's going. Yeah. But when we first released it, like, the grab a bottle because it's the blue cure south first, right? It was actually coffee with cure sucks. Oh, really? Yeah. So I'll, I'll get closer to the mic. Um, coffee with cure sucks was the first April Fool's Day release, and we didn't really have like we we didn't know where we were going with it. It's like fifty percent of this product is like making fun of the distilling industry, yeah. and the other fifty percent is like is just like it's just like a good product like it's funny it and um, what's well, also it's also the things like every april fools is getting a little ridiculous now every april fools every company brings out some sort of oh, april fools marketing thing oh yeah like, like yeah, yeah like but it's all pickle burger and all that sort of stuff 
And you followed through on it kills you, me. You followed through on the you followed through on the marketing. There's so <laughs> many people. Yeah, they they just they invent a product and don't release it. Yeah. And it and it like you know people get excited about it or like you know, I I just stop going on Facebook yeah. for April Fool's Day. Like it's terrible. Um, but we wanted to make something that was that was funny and like that people loved. You know, there's like um, I li- I listened to like an Elon Musk interview like, years ago where he's like. There are no products, or there are no companies that people love anymore, yeah. and uh, and I think about that constantly. That like, like we could have just designed this product, or like anybody can design a product yeah. and like put it on Facebook. But if you can like hold it in your hands, yeah. it's like it's just money. Like it's so funny. It, it it's ten times funnier than just designing. Yeah. It. Um, <clears throat> so we always say we we take our products very seriously. Yeah. But we take our jokes very seriously yeah. as well. Um, so this was like. We we ran this big campaign where like um, my business partner just had his first son, yeah. and we um, you know we were like April Fool's release coming, and we like you know took like pictures of like I don't know, coffee beans or something yeah. or the corner of the label or something like that, and people started to guess what it was, and then we we ran like um, we ran like a bunch of publicity with like Scout magazine articles yeah. on. Uh, on this release that's coming, but at the same time, we also promoted his, like, at that time, like, four-month-old son <laughs> as our master distiller, and the, <laughs> the joke behind this was, like, there's this guy in Scotland who, for, like, 60 years of his life, has been, like, making whiskey, and he wants to make, like, he's got this dream of, like, the best whiskey, and that guy, he calls himself a master distiller, and then, like, in our industry, you buy a still get business cards, call yourself a master distiller in that order. And we wanted to like, we wanted to shed some light on the industry that we've chosen to be a part of. And coffee liqueur is like, it's one of those things that like everybody releases. Yeah. And it ironically ruins coffee all the time. It just does not go well with coffee. So we, we released this product and everybody thought it was a joke. Like, I remember selling this, like, we released it the first weekend in April, and I remember selling it in, like, June. Like, we had it forever. And people would come in, and they'd see it, and they'd be like, whoa, shit, like, I, I didn't think that was real. <laughs> and so then, like, and, you know, we, we sold it for, like, like, 20 bucks a bottle yeah, just to try to yeah. get it out. You know, like, it was supposed to be around for, like, a week, and yeah. it was here forever. Um, but it, it, like, it carved the direction that this was going, and so... Then we have this one was the actual one that I thought was a joke. This one I honestly yeah. believed when I saw it in Scout magazine, the blue carousel. <laughs> so good to hear. When when I saw the blue carousel, I'm like, no fucking way, this is not possible. Yeah, like a craft blue carousel. It's just no, it can't be done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then I think I reached out to you, like, hey, is this is this real? Yeah, and you're like, oh yeah. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> So, so this was like, you know, this was the one that, that formed the path that we're on now. It's, it's a craft blue curacao. It's a craft blue curacao. Yeah. And it's awesome. Thanks, man. Yeah. I'm going to have it on, uh, I'm putting it on the next menu of Pags. We're going to do course Robin number blue, which I know is very classic. Make sure you well, get your order in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Especially with, with how everything's going with container world. But yeah, we're going to, we're going to keep it because I was like, I just want to keep the blue curacao on the menu and it just sells really well. I just, I won't have a blender, but it'll be a nice shaken one up. And I think we're going to do Kazuki gin from yep. Sheringham, the blue curacao, the imperative and lemon juice. Mm. So really, and then it, like a hardcore BC 
Corpse Rider. Do you got a you got a craft absinthe in there? A little taboo. Oh, yeah. Check a little taboo in there. Oh man! But then, and then this year, your big April Fools one was the coconut rum. Was the craft coconut the rum? The craft coconut rum. Um, there is there's a big trend in British Columbia. Like so, everyone has to use as, as a craft distillery. Yeah. You have to use BC agriculture, um, and it's the thing to caramelize, ferment, and distill honey, and then. Put it in a used whiskey barrel, barrel agent. Um, actually, last night at the the distillers dinner, we had uh, we had the Wayward, and I think it was like I think it was like two or three years old. Yeah, been in a barrel, and it was awesome. It was yeah, there's, so there's good. Stuff. And I, I I remember going to see Dave when he first started fermenting honey and all the the things that he had to do to try and get it to work. He's got garbage oh, now. Yeah, but like I remember his hot room. Yeah, so he had a, an old cool room in the back of the building. Yeah. That he pumped hot air into, and yeah. he would roll the forty-four gallon drums of honey in there, so it would stay runny. Yeah, yeah. And then he'd roll it out to mix it with hun- to what mix it with water because he was doing it in big toes, like big, big toes. Yeah, yeah. On for everything, and now he's really got it dialed in. Oh cause, man, yeah, because you got to you got to really you got to push it around and let the yeast like get into it. It's not it doesn't behave the same way as like grain does. Yeah, like yeah. it has it behaves completely differently. So it's a it's a honey rum. Yeah. Did you age it at all? Or is it just straight? No, straight? it's just uh, it's just white rum. Um, toasted coconut and sugar. We were gonna like. I'd really 100 percent expected to put like the um, the coconut extract, like the essence yeah. of sunscreen, in there. <laughs> um, but we we couldn't get a little amount. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know how to say that. Like we couldn't get less of it. Yeah. And it was like, it always just tasted like like just some weird chemical. Yeah. Um, either you had way too much, and it was just like sunscreen, or it was like this weird chemical flavor that you couldn't exactly identify. And we were talking about is like a bunch of tiki guys came out from Seattle and bought just case upon case upon case. Yeah, yeah. The the blue curacao because they saw somebody saw the blue curacao at like um, at the Dark Manor in Vancouver, yeah. which is like the sister bar to the Shameful Tiki Room, and then like you know, craft blue curacao, and they reported back to the tiki community, yeah. and then um, and then we got into the tiki community. And so they, they drove up and, and bought cases of either. And you've sold out of the you pretty much sold out of the craft coconut now, yeah. We have we have enough for this weekend. Um, we're doing another batch just like just so we can get it out to accounts. Like, yeah. I feel so bad because people saw it and then I just want it. yeah, yeah. It was it was almost like like we we'd done this whole thing where we release April Fool's products that actually exist, but yeah. then they sell out so fast <laughs> that they don't exist to the people who want them as well. So. So when it comes to like, uh, we just did a walkthrough on the distillery and everything, and it seems to me, just from outside looking in, is that you sort of have a rule of like, unless I can build it, I, I won't buy it unless I can build it. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it that's the, just the way it sort of looks is like, I'm not going to buy XYZ because I know I can probably build XYZ. Yeah. Okay. So there's like, the thing is we, we opened this place for like a hundred grand. Um, that if we, if we'd stuck to that budget, we'd still be producing the amount that we produced like three years ago. Um, and we, we have to grow like either, either we have to work more, which is impossible or, or we have to grow our, our scale. Yeah. And so we've like, we've just gotten innovative with that. Um, I always think about like, like opening any 
I wouldn't exactly call myself a businessman, but like opening any business, I always think about like, what do you have that no one else has? And it could be as simple as like, you have like a proprietary recipe. You have this really great recipe. It could be that easy. But like, if you want to open up, if you want to open a food truck, maybe like, maybe you have access to a commissary kitchen where everyone else is paying for the commissary kitchen. You have a free commissary kitchen and that'll put you like, that'll put you a little bit ahead. Um, I'd say like in, in this particular industry, like at least when we, when we opened up, we had this technical background of separating elements of the earth on a massive scale. And so for us, that was like, that was going to put us ahead. We had, we didn't have access to capital, but we had sort of access to like a skill set to a skill set. Yeah. yeah, To, to designing a lot of our own equipment and, and being able to like, actually like to change things. So like if, if we have an idea or continuous still yeah. and it didn't work, we can at least like reworkshop it and try to figure it out. Yeah. Um, it's sort of like a really interesting idea that, that came to us in the last year is, um, is if you open a distillery and you have really small equipment, uh, which eventually everyone outgrows yeah. their equipment in this industry. Um, if you have really small equipment, you get really good at it really fast. Whereas like if you open a distillery and you have massive tanks, you might only be, you know, you might only be running your still like once a month, yeah. once every two months, maybe. Like especially when you open, and and if your if your product shit or you're not good yeah. at it, it takes a long time to get better, and that's 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 sitting on some bar shelf, you know, yeah. it's sitting on like a liquor store shelf for maybe a year. Yeah. So is that so? The reason why you started doing the distillery school? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because like we said at the very beginning, it's like everybody wants to own a distillery because it'd be <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, it's it's a sexy it's sexy to say. It is yeah, sexy yeah. to say, especially like, when you put master distiller yeah. on your business. Yeah. Well, it's the same thing as like in my in my world right now. I, I get I go through a lot of. Uh, oh, you're an entrepreneur. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm not an entrepreneur. I just tend to do a lot of different projects for a lot of different people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So is that I try and take away the sexiness of being busy all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so what 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 entails? Is the, the you do this story once every quarter, once every three months? Yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah but four times a year. Yeah, and how many people do you usually have? We have a maximum of three. Oh wow! Yeah, I thought it was a little bigger than that. No, a maximum of three people. Yeah, and you do the full walkthrough, sort of showing the general gist and general running down of everything. Yeah, so we we do that. We actually do that like every day. Is yeah. that like just to wrap? your head around what we do and, and how you know, maybe when you first came in here, how you thought like a distillery yeah. runs. Um, we explain everything. We do that. Yeah. We do a tour every morning. Oh, wow. Um, just a really, just not, a, not a down. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have, how, how popular are the, the schools? Um, we sell out. I mean, we're booked like every time. Wow. Yeah. So I, actually, I, I will say that there have been some classes where there's just one person. And so there's people that really are interested in doing this for a living. Yeah. I think I think definitely just demystifying the... Because people, if you Google distillery, you're not going to see a picture of your distillery. You're going to see a picture of some massive automated... That you just yeah, go, yeah. boop, boop, boop. Like half button. a million dollar distillery. Yeah. yeah, and then away you go and everything like cuts itself off when you hit the heads, cuts itself off when you hit the tails. <laughs> like, you just... You walk up a couple of hours later and you just pull off a Oh, yeah, it makes it sound, Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but the response is always good on those? Yeah. I'd say, like, uh, uh, maybe, like, to answer, like, like 50% of the people are, come in just 
want to see if they would enjoy doing this. Mm. And then 25%, you couldn't talk them out of it if they tried. And another 25% come in with like a business plan and like, like industry research. And this is their last step before they open it. And they just want to make sure that like either they haven't forgotten anything or this isn't, they're not making a huge mistake. Yeah. And there's like, there's enough of a, there's enough of like a tourism in distilling schools where yeah. like, you know, you're, you're going to drop like half a million dollars and open a business and turn your life around that like, you want to go to school for it. Yeah. And like people will take four or five different courses. Yeah. Even if, even if it's a, a reality check yeah. for three days, like I think that's always the big thing with bars and restaurants. Everybody has a like we said, bars and restaurants always have this sort of mystique around it, but then when you really get down to it, and you're like, just before open, your mail washroom stuff is plugged and overflows, <laughs> or or something doesn't ferment the right way, or something like that. Oh, man. Like, I, I think I said this to you the last time we, we hung out and your ice machine died. Yeah. It was like, running a small business is just solving a series of small problems yeah. one after another. Yeah. Like, I've been, I've been popping up a steelhead a lot lately because I'm doing a project with them, and like, it's it's insane because you are working with so many variable organics that are really out of your control. So like they've been pitching the same yeast in the different bat like in the same batches of grain yeah. and they ferment completely different. Wild. I think Steel had put po- post a picture last night of like their fermenting bubble just going mental. Yeah. Like just going mental. And it's literally I've been up there with three tanks all um, done at the same time, all pitched the same style of yeast and yeah. they're all fermenting differently. Wow. And it's it's crazy because they're, they're they're very automated. They're pretty full on, full spec sort of distillery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're amazing up there. But I'd love to go there and see what's going on. They're they're, they're running out of room. Their barrels. They did twenty thousand pounds of apples over the snowy period. Really? Yeah. That's apple brandy, man. Well, they're the same. Sort I'd of love to know how many apples are in a bottle. I've always wondered that. Well, apparently, I just did the fruit brandy episode, and apparently, there's twenty four Bartlett pears in Okanagan Spirits Bartlett pear brandy. Whoa, that's a that's a lot of pairs. A lot of pairs. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, what sort of advice? Like, we'll we'll start finishing up. What sort of advice would you have for someone who wants to be a distiller in BC? Hmm. Um, and you can't say don't do it. No, no. I, <laughs> there's a lot of people that say that, but I, um, anyone who says don't do it, it's comes from a different place. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, they're not in it for the same reasons. And I would say really know your market that there's, there's kind of this idea that, um, you know, if there's a bajillion bottles of vodka sold and you're just going to shave off 1% of that, that people are throwing this net into like into the market or the yeah. public and they're like hoping to like pull, pull fishing. Yeah. But I, I believe the way that the way that it should be done is, is to find like, is to find, I don't, don't want to say niche, but like is to find a segment of people yeah. and just service them really well. You know, like the, the Tiki is an example yeah. of that. And <clears throat> to a small group of people, you want to be the absolute best thing, yeah. but you don't want to be everyone. That's impossible. Yeah. You're just going to water your brand down. And it's to really figure that out. Like, um, that's why I find, that's why I find that spreadsheet, like the list of distilleries and like the timeline that they opened and all the products that came out, like 
That's that's really interesting. I, I would it'd say be, that it'd be a really massive infograph. Oh yeah, like, yeah. Like, <laughs> start with all the, the originals and what they like, what they put out. Yeah, and then go to the then just flow from that. Yeah, yeah all the OG just like fruit brandies yeah. and then like uh, vodka, massive gin spike. Yeah, yeah, vodka and gin. Like, but I do I do think the vodka, the craft vodka thing, is definitely waning because it is that how many repeat buys do you really get mm-hmm. on that one bottle of vodka? Yeah, you know, like people people fall in love with a gin and love a certain gin. Um, or an amaretto, or a craft coconut rum. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, like I haven't had coconut rum behind my bar in a really long time. Like, yeah, so probably, probably ten years. Yeah, and I'm probably gonna put it on my back bar and do something with it at Pags for summer. You know, man, that's that's like that's an interesting point. Is like I was talking to I was talking to Steve Lee the other day from the Douglas Distillery, and that there's so many of us that have gotten into this industry, and then like you know make the finest and highest quality amaretto and we're like we're servicing like i'm gonna say like cocktail bars yeah. or something and like you know i used to work in the trades and all of a sudden i'm a cocktailist yeah well and i think that's the thing is we talk about it i talked about it the other day is like we we get into our bubble of awesomeness like yeah it, we get into our bubble of awesomeness of like because we're always around the same people who are talking the same language and like craft beer and stuff. But like when you really look at like when you get those spreadsheets of yeah. sales and you look through and you're like, okay, well, you're still just a drop in the bucket. Yeah, like in what, the grand scheme. Of what things. Ha- like out of that bajillion dollars of vodka, yeah. like who's sitting with a frozen glass, like yeah. waving it in the air and yeah. smelling it? Like it's the, a niche of a niche. It's a niche of a niche. There's and you know there's so many people out there like that drink Fireball, that yeah. drink coconut rum. Yeah. You know, like. The biggest segment, the smallest segment of rum is aged rum. Yeah. Like aged rum is like 8% of the market. And coconut rum sells more than yeah. aged rum in, <laughs> in BC anyway. That, like, there's all these people that 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 aren't getting these products. Yeah. There's this massive segment that's not being serviced. Yeah. And it's, people want Fireball, people want Blue Shit, yeah. people want Coconut. Yeah. And... Um, you know, I, the, like the Monashi Distillery, like Josh. Like, I was just gonna bring them up. Um, man, I respect that so much. Like yeah. people are like, they're making a fireball, but like, look at the market. Yeah, if you're gonna knock Fireball, Jaeger, and Bailey's off the off the shelves in Revelstoke, yeah, Monashi's done it. Oh my god, <laughs> like, yeah. Like, really, <laughs> like why not? Like everybody's drinking Jaeger. Yeah, chill Jaeger when it's winter time up there. Yeah, yeah. Guess what? I'm gonna freaking make a Jaeger. I heard, I heard they got the Jaegermeister machine. Yeah. <laughs> they rebranded it. Yeah, yeah. That's so cool. <laughs> you know, like, why would you not do Fireball? Like, everybody's banging back cold up Fireball during snow season. Yeah. Genius. Take it up the hill. Like, yeah. And, exactly. Yeah. It's <laughs> such a good idea. Um, and, you know, here here I am still making the finest and highest quality craft amaretto. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> yeah, but amaretto said it was always going to be popular. That's fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> We're bringing them back. Okay, i got to let you go because, uh... This is probably going to come out. I don't know when this is going to come out. I never know when it's going to come out. I always pick and choose. It just ends up being out when I put it out. I understand. BC Distills in our time right now, today, yep. tonight. So I'm going to be at the trade tasting. I'm really looking forward. It's my first BC Distilled. Yeah. Horribly enough. It's my <laughs> first BC Distilled. Um, but I really appreciate it. I love this place. If you, I'm going to do a little post edit on this one. But if you're down in Vancouver, make sure you come out and see Sons of Vancouver. Um, I really appreciate sitting down with you, but I know you're busy today. Oh, thanks, man. No, this has been great. This is awesome. Okay, guys, uh, have a good week. Bye.
Thanks, Shifters. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Uh, if you're listening, whatever platform you're on, give me a good rating, subscribe, listen along. Uh, I'm going to keep going. I really enjoy sitting down with people and learning where they're from, what they did, and how they got to where they were. So if you love it, give me a good five stars. If you don't, give me one and I'll try harder. <laughs>